Uh, if you have a Bible with you, uh, as was mentioned, we're looking at Daniel chapter 9 today. Uh, some of you just with us for the first time in a while uh, this morning, and so uh, just maybe uh, it would be helpful for you to know that every year during these weeks leading up to Christmas, uh, we go through a book of the Old Testament. We actually started going through Daniel. We did the first six chapters over the summer. That's the easy part of Daniel to get through. Then we finished the Gospel of John, and now for these six weeks leading up to Christmas, we have been looking at these last six chapters of Daniel, which are harder to understand, but also filled with good news that points us to Jesus. And so, just a quick overview of where we've been. Daniel chapter 7, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, big idea was this, things will get worse, but our holy and powerful God will judge The Son of Man will be given eternal dominion, and those who trust in Him will reign with Him forever. And then last week, looking at Daniel chapter 8, dark times will come before the light breaks in, but we trust the God who has a detailed plan for the future, ultimately fulfilled by Jesus. We ended by looking last week at how the angel Gabriel, who came to Daniel in chapter 8 to help him understand the vision that he had, went also 500 years later or so, Uh, to talk to a virgin uh, named Mary, uh, who was going to be giving birth to Jesus, the son whom Daniel had prophesied would come, the one who was to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, today, we start out a little differently. There have been, each of the last two chapters, there's a vision, and there's an interpretation of the vision, and again, for some of you that like to think in pictures and symbols, like, oh, that's great. And for others of us, like, this is really hard. Uh, Now in Daniel chapter 9, it's a little different. There's not a new vision that we receive, but instead, Daniel chapter 9, the first two-thirds of it are a prayer that Daniel prays. And I hope that it's a prayer that is, is very instructive for us, is we're people who need to learn to pray better. Uh, And I think Daniel will teach us that. Now, the last third of this is, I think, really an answer to Daniel's prayer that comes immediately. And it's one of the passages that is one of the most kind of controversial controversial passages uh, in Scripture, especially for people that like to look at prophetic kinds of things. And so we're going to spend a little time on that. Um, But I'm going to try to summarize. Here's what I think the big idea is of it and not get through every uh, detail of every kind of argument. I think it means this, and I think it means that. And I want to get us to the cross of Jesus Christ and taking communion together today. So, Daniel chapter 9 is where we're looking. I invite you to open to that in your Bible. We'll have it on the screen as well. And you'll see in your bulletin a sermon notes page. Uh, and the big idea that you'll see there is this. We pray to our prayer answering God with deep humility pleading for mercy as we acknowledge His greatness and our sinfulness. So we want to be taught. We want to be students of the Word, students of of Daniel, really, in learning how to pray as we look at Daniel chapter 9 today. So if you're able to, would you stand as we read God's Word? And uh, let me pray first, and then let's read. God... Thank you for the opportunities we've had already today to come before you in prayer. We don't take that lightly. We know we only come in the name of your Son, who is our great high priest, who has gone into into a place where we could not go, This, this perfect fellowship with you that's now opened up to us who are identified 
with Christ, united with Christ by faith, and it's all because of your grace. So we're just thankful people. We're thankful that your Spirit now comes to dwell in all of us who, who believe. We're thankful that your Spirit does the work of conviction of sin. And even as we look at a prayer where Daniel does a lot of confessing, I pray that your Spirit would do a lot of that work in our heart, that you would examine us today, help us to examine ourselves, that we would be people that are quick to humble ourselves before you, acknowledging your greatness and glory and confessing our sin. So, so God, work in us today, even as we read your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Daniel chapter 9, God's word says this, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. We have not listened to Your servants, the prophets, who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To You, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws, which He set before us by His servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed Your law and turned aside, refusing to obey Your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against Him. He has confirmed His words which He spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by Your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that He has done. And we have not obeyed His voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for Yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly, O Lord, according to all Your righteous acts, let Your anger and Your wrath turn away from Your city Jerusalem, Your holy hill, because for our sins... And for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. 
O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint the most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to a sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. You can be seated. So as I mentioned, this is a prayer and this is an answer to prayer. And so let's look first at the prayer which covers the first 19 verses of this chapter. Daniel prays. First we get the setting though before he really starts praying. And the setting... He lets us know kind of where he's at. It's been 11 years since the vision that we looked at in the last chapter. The year's now 539 B.C., just so we kind of have our bearings here. Just thinking of Daniel as he's praying this, you want to understand where he's at. Daniel is likely in his 80s at this point. So he's an older man, and he has already been in exile for 66 years. Remember, he went into exile in 605 B.C., now it's 539 B.C. So Daniel has been living in exile for 66 years. And Daniel, we see in these opening verses, was a student of God's Word. Jeremiah, the prophet, which you can read on your own because we have a book just before Daniel called Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah chapter 29 is a lot of people's favorite verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. But preceding that and, and all around that is this prophecy from Jeremiah that lets people know that even though a false prophet had told them, hey, everything's going to be fine in like two years, Jeremiah had to share the word of the Lord, and that was, you will be in exile for 70 years living in Babylon. Well, Daniel's a student of God's word, and Daniel can do math, and so he's thinking it's been 66 years. It's almost time for this exile to end according to the word of the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah. Now, 
everything we've seen of Daniel so far in the book, from what we looked at this summer in the first six chapters and what we've seen so far, Daniel is a faithful man of God, a man of integrity. But I love how he now in his 80s is not looking at the prophecy from Jeremiah and looking at his own life and coming to God with arrogance and think, God, you owe it to us. You said you were going to do it. Let's see it, God. That's not the attitude that we see Daniel coming before God with. It's a very different attitude. Here's how he even says he's going to pray. Verse 3. I'll flip the page in my Bible here. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I love the humility with which Daniel approaches God. And so, this is what we get to see here in Daniel. Now, we're going to notice, I want you to notice as we look through his prayer, again, trying to break it down for us, I can see really kind of three parts to his prayer. When I study a passage of Scripture, what I do is I print it out, Uh, and then use colored pencils to kind of mark off different areas so it helps me to make sense of it a little bit more. Uh, And so I did that with Daniel, and I really kind of came up with three different colors on my sheet here in Daniel as I looked at his prayer. And so the first bit that I could see was this. Daniel spends a lot of time, he begins his prayer this way, and he spends a lot of time praising God for who he is and what he has done. Part one of prayer, Daniel's praising God for who he is and what he has done. Now, we took a lot of time to just read this whole passage of Scripture. I'm not going to go back and read every verse as I comment on it, but I will put it up on the screen so we can just notice some of these things. You see it up there. O Lord, the great and awesome God. That's the way he begins his prayer. O Lord. The great and awesome God. The first thing that Daniel's doing as he's praying is acknowledging God's greatness. God, you are a great and awesome God. You keep covenant and steadfast love. This is what God does. He's a great and awesome God. What does he do? He keeps covenant and steadfast love. In verse 7, he says, To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. In verse 9, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Daniel looking to God and acknowledging God's greatness, praising Him for who He is. And then in verse 14, he continues, For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that He has done. And in verse 15, he recounts what God has done. God, you're the one who brought your people out of the land of Egypt. You, O God, have made a name for yourself. Right? This is right for God to do, for God to be concerned about his own glory, to make a name for himself. If Jeremy's about making a name for himself, that's not good, because that's not the best thing for the most people or the best thing for Jeremy. But it is the best thing for the most people that God would make a name for himself, that his glory would be on display through the work that he does in the world. And so God does this, and Daniel acknowledges it and praises him for it. Verse 16, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts. Here's the application of this. Asking ourselves the question, do we praise God enough in prayer? As you think about how you spend your time praying, do you spend a good deal of your time in prayer just praising God for who He is? 
acknowledging this is who you are, God. This is what you've done, God. We see Daniel going back to not just starting that way. Yes, he starts that way, but he can't help it. He just keeps going back to it. I think really what happens with us is as we know God, we praise God. That's the right response. As we come to know God more, we're not just people who like study this so that we can win uh, Bible trivia stuff, right? We, we, we study the Word of God that we might know God. And in knowing God, the right response is praising God. And as we praise God, then we desire to know Him more that we might praise Him more. And it just keeps going around. So our question is, do we praise God enough in prayer. I want us to be a church like this. Have you, have you paused lately to just gaze on the glory of God? Have you opened up the Scriptures and been struck by His greatness? When you come to the worship service on Sunday, are you engaged and expecting to become enthralled with God and the Gospel? Church, I want us to be a church that gets to know God more so that we might praise Him more, that our motivation in all things, just as God's motivation in all things, is His own glory. We see a lot of praising in Daniel's prayer, but we also see a second part. Daniel does an awful lot of confessing. I mean, sometimes in Scripture we read about a character like David and and the ways in which he stumbled and sinned greatly against God. And so it seems, well, of course, he ought to be doing a lot of confessing. But so far in the book of Daniel, we've just seen good stuff. But Daniel knows his own heart. It's not all filled with good stuff. And so it's right for Daniel to come before God with a lot of confessing. We see it first, I think, in verse 5. We have sinned, he says. And done wrong. Now, I put on the screen uh, the, all the we's. I put them in like bold and italics and I underline them because I want you to notice this. When we confess sin, I, I don't think we often do it as Daniel and many others in Scripture do it. Daniel is confessing sin corporately quite frequently. That is, that he's, he's, he's identifying himself with all these people that have sinned in this way. He uses we and us a lot. You notice that in those verses that are up on the screen. He isn't coming to God proud of his faithfulness and looking at everybody else. Saying, God, I see why you're doing what you're doing. It's because of them. There's some bad people I've been hanging with. No, Daniel numbers himself with the rest of the sinners. And so he comes before God with confession. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. We have sinned against you. Verse 9, we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed. Verse 10, we've transgressed your law, turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And then he acknowledges, because he's confessing that sin, he also acknowledges what it is that we deserve. So he's not looking at God saying, God, why would you do what you're doing? God, don't we deserve better than this? That's not his attitude. Daniel's attitude is, we are getting what was coming to us. We're getting what we deserve. The curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, this is verse 11, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us. Why? Because we have sinned against Him. We deserve this. 
He has confirmed His words. He's brought about a great calamity. Verse 12. As it is written in the law of Moses, this is verse 13, all this calamity has come upon us. God, you, you told us this was coming. We know you're great. We know you're holy. We know that we're sinful and everything that we've been getting, we're deserving. Not coming to God with the kind of attitude that says, I think you owe us a little bit better than this, God. And so, again, I think there's some application for us in this. Isn't it easy to think and to pray? Maybe, maybe, maybe you're like, you're too mature to pray this way. But you think this way still, don't you? Sure, I've fill in the blank. But at least I haven't fill in the blank. Right? Sure, I've looked at things that I ought not to have looked at. But at least I haven't committed adultery. Right? Sure, sure, I've wanted more than God has given me, but I didn't trample people on Black Friday this year. Pat myself on the back. Sure, I've not done a great job at being a spiritual leader in my family, but at least I haven't deserted or abused them. But what if, what if we, rather than trying to convince ourselves that we're not as bad as some other sinners, we just identified ourselves with them? Maybe, maybe you're not as greedy as some other people. But maybe we are. And so our prayers would be a little more like Daniel's. We have fill in the blank. Please forgive us. I think we can learn something from Daniel's prayer. And I think if we did this, we would also acknowledge more what we deserve, um, which I think would humble us and make us more truthful, just as Daniel was. Now, if you looked at Daniel's prayer, starting in verse 4, going all the way through verse 15, he hasn't even had a request yet. A lot of times, that's kind of the majority of our prayers. We just have a lot of requests. That's fine. We should bring all of our requests to God. But Daniel doesn't even get to a request until he gets to verse 16. Of course, he didn't have verses in his prayer. These were added later. But it's late in his prayer that he actually has a request. And even in his requests, I want us to note his humility. The request, verse 18. I love the end of verse 18. He says, For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. That's the kind of attitude that we ought to have as we come before God in prayer. I'm not coming before you because I'm righteous and you ought to listen to me and give me what I want. I'm coming before you with that humble kind of attitude, acknowledging my sin and our sin before you, acknowledging your greatness so that my response to you is to come before you, pleading not because of my righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Daniel, even in his prayer, is concerned about what God's concerned about. I put in italics up on the screen all the yours that are in there. It's your righteous acts, your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, your people, your servant, your face, your sanctuary, your ears, your eyes. This is the way that Daniel comes before God, ending, For your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. 
think we can learn something, again, application-wise, from how Daniel even makes his requests. Do we make humble requests to God? Or do we pray like we deserve better? If we added a so that to our prayer, would it be so that your name is glorified? Or do we mostly pray so that I will be comfortable? What if our prayers sounded more like Daniel's? What if our prayers were had a foundation, just an attitude of humility? If, if we had prayers filled with praise and confession, if we ended with requests that were more than anything else motivated by God's glory, I think there's a lot we can learn from Daniel chapter 9 when it comes to prayer. And so those are some things you can think through, wrestle with, reflect on. There's some questions down at the bottom. Uh, I know a number of our life groups uh, are done. Some are still meeting. And so those questions can be used in those life groups. But if you're not meeting in a life group right now, use those questions at home this week on your own. So Daniel prays up through verse 19. And, and when we pray, we hopefully expect God to answer. Usually, though, we just don't know how God is going to answer. And, and most of the time, we don't know when God is going to answer. Now, sometimes... God's answer comes at a time and in a way that is surprising to us. And I think that's probably the case for Daniel. Daniel, who is praying, remember the setting, it's just, just years before, just a short amount of time before he is expecting that God is going to put his people back in his place. Yet, Daniel, as he anticipates maybe an answer from God. I don't even know if he's had time to anticipate an answer from God. Because, listen to when Daniel gets the answer to prayer. This might be discouraging for some of you who've been praying for something for a long time and feel that God has not yet answered that prayer. Daniel gets immediate answer to prayer. Look at what it says in verse 20. While I was speaking and praying. <laughs> so the answer is going to come when? While I was still speaking and praying. Verse 21. While I was speaking in prayer, what happens? The man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. So here Daniel is, one day, praying these things to God. And as he prays, Gabriel comes again. The same Gabriel from chapter 8, the vision that he had there and the interpretation that followed. And the goal for Gabriel in coming is to help Daniel to understand some things. He says to Daniel in verse 23, At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. Now, how, how affirming must this have been for Daniel? For you are greatly loved. Daniel gets to hear a messenger from God sent to Daniel to tell him, Your prayer is going to get answered. I'm, gonna, I'm coming. Yeah, I am the answer to your prayer. I'm giving you understanding of this, what is to come. And by the way, you're greatly loved, Daniel. That would have been encouraging for this old man to hear. And so, the answer to prayer comes right away, and it comes with some things that are, I think, very hard to understand. And I think a lot of people would agree. And so, let's look at it. I don't want to breeze by it. But I also don't want to sit and dwell on it forever. 
either. And so let's go ahead and look at a specific but hard to understand answer. That's, that's the thing about this answer that he receives. It seems very specific, but it's also hard to understand. It begins by saying 70 weeks, or, or maybe your translation says 70 sevens. So some people take that as, you know, 70 weeks. Some people take that as 70 times 7, which is 490, and that's years rather than weeks. Or some people do the 490 weeks, uh, different ways that people look at it. But there, the purpose there is pretty clear. 70 weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city. Here's the purpose of these 70 weeks. And he lists one, two, three, four, five, six different things there. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Okay, so a specific answer with specific purposes. And then it gets more complicated in verses 25 to 27. Now there's division of this time. There's seven weeks. There's 62 weeks, and then there's a week that gets divided in half. There's an anointed one, there's desolations, there's wars, and this kind of thing. And you, you might recall, just last week we looked at Daniel chapter 8. And in Daniel chapter 8, we kind of had this gift of seeing how the immediate fulfillment of the prophecy in Daniel chapter 8 was filled out over the next 400 years. And we can, we can look back in history and say, oh, yeah, that's this event and this event and this event. It all went exactly like God had said. Remember we looked at that last week? Culminating in 164 B.C., Judas Maccabees. So we're like, well, look, oh, that's beautiful the way that God prophesied this in a vision through Daniel to Daniel. And then it worked out exactly as God said. And you might kind of, because you were excited about that last week, then turn to Daniel chapter 9 and expect, well, we're going to get that again. We're super clear exactly how this worked its way out. And that's just not the case. So let me just be uh, honest with you. Um, I, I couldn't understand this. Uh, like I'm reading through it, and it's not one of those like, you read through it five, six times, you're praying that God would give you understanding. Like I still don't really get what's happening there. And so I turn to read resources from people uh, that are way smarter than me. And it was hard to understand them. And some of them are convinced that the way they have this all worked out, well, this means this, and this means this, and this is going to be this, and this is going to be that. Some of them have it all worked out like that. And it's like, oh, I can, I can see what they're saying. And then somebody else has a totally different idea. Well, this means this, and this means, like, well, that makes a lot of sense, too. And then I read some other resources that were pointing to the fact that, you know what? These people that seem to have it all figured out, and this means this, and this means that. But what about this? It's right there in the text, and that doesn't seem to fit with their scheme. And then these other people, that sounds good, except for what about this? That doesn't seem to fit. Like, oh yeah, I guess that's right too. And so I was like, well, I'm at a, I'm at a decision point then this week. There was a lot going on this week in the life of the church. And I'm thinking, how many hours am I going to put into determining something that people who have studied this stuff, some of them given their whole academic careers to doing it, and they haven't landed on this is for sure what this is talking about. Do you think I'm going to get to that by Sunday, December 1st, 2019? Nope. So, like, I don't have for you... Oh, well, here's exactly uh, what Daniel 
9, 24 to 27 means. I, I don't have that for you. And if I would have had it, I would have had to have like two hours to explain it probably anyway. What, so here's what I had to do this week. I had to back up a little bit and just say, okay, I wonder if Daniel totally understood. I wonder if the people who read Daniel for the first time totally understood. Now, I don't know, but I wonder what God's message for them in that time was. That's where we need to start. And then, and then I wonder, well, you know, Jesus actually quotes this. In Matthew 24, 15, Jesus quotes Daniel 9, 27. So, so, so Jesus himself quotes this passage in, in a passage in Matthew 24 that can sometimes be hard to understand. And so what did Jesus mean when he was referring to this? And then I had to back up even a little bit more and thinking, okay, so I'm the pastor of the people that I get to preach this to on Sunday morning. What did they need to hear? And so here's what I came up with after studying this. It's this. God has everything all figured out, including the timing. And Jesus is somehow at the center of all of it. And what we ought to do in response is to hang in there and trust Him. Okay? That, and if you want, like, hey, but what about the 63 and then the 62 and the half week? And there's some, there's some great books you can read about that. But here's what I think is clear, at least to me, and I think would have been helpful for people in Daniel's day, would have been helpful for people in Jesus' day, and is helpful for us today. God has everything, including the timing, all figured out. Jesus is at the center, and we ought to hang in there and trust Him. And so application then for us, we need to believe that. Do we believe that God has everything, including the timing, all figured out, that Jesus is at the center, so that we will hang in there and trust Him? Because sometimes we pray, and God's answer is difficult to understand. Have you ever had that? Where you've prayed, and maybe God's answer didn't come when you wanted, didn't come in the way that you wanted, and sometimes it's come, and it's hard to understand why God would answer your prayer in that way. We need to believe this. You know, part of what made this week full, and I mean full in a good way, was being able to spend a lot of extra time with Jan Lehman and her family. It was a good week. And I, I don't think, uh, you know, as uh, over this last year, as, as Dawn knew his day to go be with Jesus was coming, I don't think they probably spent a lot of time in Daniel 9, 24 to 27. But I do think that big idea that comes out of this, which I think we see in many other places in Scripture, really gave... Don and Jan both, the kind of faith and strength it took to get through a year and come through it in a way that just really brought honor and glory to Jesus. Why? Because they knew everything. From the moment he was diagnosed with cancer and they made the decision not to seek treatment, that they knew this and they believed this. God has everything, including the timing, figured out. God knew the exact day. And, they, and at the center of all of it for them, Jesus at the center and so they were able to hang in there through some tough stuff and trust in him and so we get to see this This is part of the joy of being a part of a church family i i'm sharing this with permission ryan and amber believe this as well and i talked to amber and ryan i think was sort of their uh 
was it on speakerphone or something, uh, this week, and asked if I could have permission to share a little something, because uh, those of you that are on Facebook, you may have read something that Amber had written in mid-October, so quite a while ago now, six, seven weeks ago, a couple weeks into her journey with dealing with cancer. And uh, Amber had been dealing with a lot of different medical problems over the last weeks, not uh, not totally uh, able to understand where all of them were coming from. And on top of all of that, Ryan and Amber struggling with infertility. They'd been praying for Amber to get pregnant. And God was, it seemed, answering them in a way that was difficult to understand. And so Amber told this whole story, and here's how she concluded it. Ryan and I believe that God used that to prevent pregnancy in order to prepare us for my cancer. Our road to infertility has been difficult, but not without cause. As we're only two weeks on this cancer road, we still believe it is not without cause. God is a good and gracious God, and all things are for His glory. See, that's examples. We think about Don and Jan, and we think about Ryan and Amber. That's examples that we get to see right in front of us of people who believe this, that God has everything, including the timing, all figured out. Do we? Nope. Does God? Yes. And Jesus is right at the center of all of it. He does all things for His glory. And when we know that and believe that, then we can hang in there and trust Him. And so that's the encouragement that we can, I think, walk away from Daniel with today. I'm going to pray, and then we'll take time taking communion. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you. Thank you for your word. And we just readily admit that there's uh, times and places in it that we find hard to understand. If you would give us even greater insight into understanding, to understand a passage like this in more detail, I pray that you would, if that would benefit us. But I know one day we'll be able to look back and see, oh, well, that's exactly what that meant. Because we do trust, God, that you have everything, including the timing, all figured out. We know that at the center of all of your plans is Jesus, who has come once and who is coming again. And as we await that day, I pray that you would help us to hang in there and trust him. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.